From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm your host. Today, we are bringing you a conversation celebrating Disability Pride Month, which is July. This conversation with actress and singer Ali Stroker was recorded last year, but we think it has the same resonance today. We talked to Ali about disability identity and representation in the media. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, roll the tape. Across the top 100 movies of 2019, only 2.3% of all speaking characters had a disability. What's more, the rare times we do see a character with a disability, they aren't played by someone with a disability. In fact, one study found that in the top 10 TV shows for 2018, only 12% of disabled characters were played by disabled actors. In contrast, around 133 million Americans live with visible or invisible disabilities. That's 40% of the public. To put it plainly, there's a lot of room for improvement. Enter Ali Stroker, a singer and actress phenom who became both the first person using a wheelchair to perform on Broadway and the first person using a wheelchair to win a Tony Award. Allie, in many ways, has put disability on the media map, landing roles in film, television, theater, and even writing a children's book. She joins us on At Liberty to discuss the importance of representation and celebration of disability in the entertainment industry and beyond. Allie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I do want to go back to the moment in 2019. You had just won Best Supporting Actress in a Musical for your role in Oklahoma, playing Adu Annie, and you rolled out in your yellow dress, and you accepted the award. You were beaming, and you said, this award is for every kid who is watching tonight who has a disability, a limitation, or a challenge. You sounded like you were talking to your younger self. Were you? Yes. I I was. Uh, That's exactly what was happening. You know, I spent my whole childhood dreaming of being on Broadway. And I would watch the Tonys. I went to um, see Broadway shows. And I never saw anyone like me. Um, I never saw anybody in a wheelchair. I never saw anyone with any any physical disabilities. And so to arrive at this place in my career, I was just thinking about younger Allie and, you know, a lot of young Allies out there watching and looking for representation, looking for role models. And I just felt really called to address those young people and to remind them that you know, that they can do anything, you know. It was sort of like, in in some ways, the dedication was kind of like a call to action of like, do not give up on your dreams. Like, you can do anything and you can be on Broadway and you can be at the highest level. Don't let anybody limit you. Uh, And I feel really fortunate because I was raised 
in a you can do anything home. And that really impacts somebody with a disability because the world tells you other things. The world tells you otherwise in different ways, maybe not directly. Maybe there aren't people, you know, coming up to young kids with disabilities saying you can't do that, but in ways that we feel it from the world, whether it be accessibility, um, whether it's um, representation, you know, young people with disabilities look to television and film and theater and the media for for signs of where they count and where they can make it in the world. Mm -hmm. And when we don't create representation for young people of all different kinds of people, then we send very strong messaging that they are not included in, in this arena. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned people just not seeing people in successful spaces, right? They're not lifted up or heralded in ways that people who are non-disabled are, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that disabled folks are not doing amazing things. I think that is what social media did for me was open up my eyes to the fact that that there were people that existed that I could look up to. It, it happened a little late in my life and I imagine a little bit late in your life, But I also imagine that that's a way in which we're almost making our own representation now through through social media. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree with you. Like, there are so many parts of social media that I despise and that I think are, like, really negatively affecting our lives. But for people with disabilities, I will speak for myself and say that It's been amazing to be able to find and see other people like me and see what they're up to, like what we were saying, what you were saying. I have so many friends with disabilities that are just creating incredible things in the world and going after their dreams and their passions and getting recognized for them. And I'm so, so happy to see that. And um, so I really, I really appreciate social media for that. And also, You know, I think having a disability, it's so important to feel supported by other people with disabilities as well, because it's a very unique experience to live with a disability, right? You don't get weekends off. And so to (laughs) feel like there are other people out there who get it, I have always found to it kind of feels like a relief that I'm not in it alone, even though I know that every single person has such a different experience, but just to know that there are other people out there doing kind of what I do, it feels good. It feels like you kind of have your team in some way. So, you know, as, as we're talking, like, yes, there are people out there who exist who are doing amazing things, but in many ways you are a trailblazer. You were a first. And I think in anything, any person who is a first in something, it's a different kind of experience. There is something extra to it. And I am wondering, did that ever feel like a pressure? Did that ever feel complicated to you? Was there anything extra that you felt like you had to navigate 
what I have found to be kind of interesting and, and maybe challenging at times is that when you become a first, you in some ways become a spokesperson and you then are looked to kind of like speak or represent your community. But what I know for sure is that everyone has a different experience. I, I didn't feel comfortable speaking for the entire community. So that felt a little bit scary because I was like, I don't want to say something that's going to sound like I don't understand. And the other part of it that I think is so interesting is I am an actress and I have been recognized for my work, but because of the time that we live in now, you sort of then also become an ally and a representative and an advocate and an activist and not, I don't, I don't necessarily identify with all of those labels. Like I've, I've had sometimes a hard time feeling like I'm an activist because I'm not someone who is, um, you know, a part of creating laws and changing, you know, the law for my community. I am, I think changing things based on creating representation in entertainment, which has a huge effect on our culture and our world. And so as a disabled performer, what I have loved about being disabled is that no matter what I do, my disability is a part of my work. And I am very clear about that because I think it is really dangerous to try to ignore your disability. Okay. So as an actor, any role that I'm cast in, whether it was disability specific or not, my wheelchair, that character is now in a chair. So I always ask like, how would this person respond to being in a chair? And so my disability is not something that I can put aside in what I do. That also has forced me to wrap my arms around the reality of what people are going to perceive, which is why I'm very specific about what work I take. Because if the writing doesn't work for who I am as an actor and the stories that I think I am most effective telling, then I don't want to do that, right? So like, for example, sometimes when writers try to write disability into a character, it feels so on the nose and it feels like it's calling out something that the audience is is already seeing, And it feels like you are not taking into consideration the social norms of what happens when there's disability in the room. No matter what, when I come into a room, my wheelchair makes a statement. And it's some people are really good at hiding the responses, but everyone is having a moment. (laughs) Does that make sense? And so... 100%. So... For me, in the roles and the work that I take, I have been in a chair for 32 years. So I am aware of how I am going to impact a piece of work. Um, And 
at this point in my career, it's been exciting to kind of think about not just what kind of roles I want to audition for or that I'm being given, but what kind of roles and what kind of characters and what kind of work and stories do I want to tell? And so that's been really exciting. And as an artist who has a disability, I think that there's a real, a real opportunity. Huge opportunity, I would say. Uh, I do want to go back to the first role that you ever played. Yeah. Long before you were Ali Stroker, the Tony Award-winning actress and singer, you were Ali Stroker from Ridgewood, New Jersey. And I heard that you got into neighborhood theater. Um, you are cast as Annie. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So I was seven and my family was at the Jersey Shore and we had next door neighbors who had a daughter who had just come home from Stage Door Manor, which is like a theater camp. And she decided that she wanted to direct a production of Annie. And she cast me as Annie. A little backstory, I was injured in a car accident when I was two and am paralyzed and use a wheelchair for mobility. You know, I was very different than I am now. I was really, really shy and pretty quiet and um, pretty closed off. And when I met these neighborhood kids and when I was cast in Annie, something happened and something changed for me. Getting cast to play someone other than me reminded me that I can be whoever I want to be. The second part was that I began to sing. And when I sing, I don't feel any limitations. And in my everyday life, being in a wheelchair and being paralyzed, I feel those limitations. But with my voice, there are no stairs. There are no, you know, inaccessible entrances. It's just like freedom. So that felt so good. And I needed a place to express myself where I felt free. Like expression should be something that flows out of you. And I really didn't have that experience until I started to sing. And the last piece of it was that I was so used to being stared at. Like people would just stare at me all the time. And when I got on stage, everyone was staring at me, but it wasn't the same kind of staring at me like I felt in the world, I felt powerful for the first time in my life. And people were looking to me and I was in control. And I became obsessed with these, these feelings and this experience. And, you know, some people get into theater because it's their passion, but it was bigger than that for me. It was my survival. It was like, now I can become the person that I want to be. And now I can be free. So it was like really loaded and and then obviously became my life. I think that story is so powerful. It also resonates deeply with my story. I was born with a rare liver disease. This has impacted my entire life. And I think as a as a kid, I call it like not the non-disabled gaze, the, the like the eyes of pity, right? You can feel it very clearly. I have an invisible disability, so not to the extent that I enter every room, right? But certain rooms, and as a child, that was more the case. And for me, 
the the shift was when I had found a cause that I could direct people to um, in the midst of having a couple of liver transplants. And I was no longer the sick girl. I could be Kendall, the girl who was helping other people, and that that was the attention that I was receiving. As I've gotten older, I feel like I've had a, an easier time kind of integrating those selves. And I was wondering about this kind of this higher visibility that you have in the world. And if that opportunity had to be more integrated, to be kind of like Allie, the girl who is the performer, but also Allie who has this experience of disability, feels more in harmony with each other rather than this kind of reshaping or reframing your identity as a child to move through the world easier. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm totally with you. Yes. So I definitely feel like I'm finally at a place in my life where I'm able to integrate some of like these different identities. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like as a child, I needed to show everyone I was okay and like prove myself. And something happened when I made my Broadway debut and began to work in the arena that I wanted to be working in, I began to trust myself. And I began to believe that I had the power to set my mind and my heart and my life to something and I could do it. I could achieve it. And so something about trusting myself and liking myself and accepting myself allowed me to say, Allie, you can be all these pieces. You don't have to withhold certain parts of you because that will turn the world off from you. The world wants all of you. That is such an important piece to my puzzle. And I'm so glad you articulated it the way that you did, because I don't think it's just disability specific. I think there are so many people out there who have these things who have, it's mm -hmm. like the thing that you are most afraid of is the thing that you want to hide the most from the world, but it's the thing that will set you free. And that's like, that's life, right? It's like the thing you resist until you accept it, it will persist. I do think people pursuing different things, kind of having this shift of reframing who they are and their identity and how they want to be seen in the world is a very positive thing. Because even for people who have not yet figured that out, it's shifting the way that the world sees people with disabilities. But I also wonder, to the other side of the coin, that we're not necessarily sharing, there's this kind of double side of the pride coin, right? We want to be celebrated. We want to share our successes. But then on the other side, there's also a lot of challenges. And there also is kind of the reality of the lived experience that I think really does deeply lack understanding. Yeah, this is, this one's tough because I talk about this all the time with like my home team, my inner circle about how for a lot of people, they don't consider or they don't think about disability because it's not a part of their life. So like for my husband, for my sister, they live it. They understand it, right? 
But for people who don't have anybody close to them, they don't really consider it. I think the other piece about being a performer that's been really helpful that I've used in my sort of unpacking living with a disability, which I always say is like, you're never done unpacking. Like my disability affects me so differently at 34 than it did when I was seven and when I was 14 and when I was 22. Like it's, it's always been a part of my life and it's always been something that I've been like trying to like work through. Like, okay, what does it mean to like now be a grown woman but still feel like at times people treat me like I'm a child. That is something that I unpack because I want to think about how disability is seen and works in the world because if I understand it, then maybe I can do things to shift it. I become frustrated when I feel like People with disabilities and me have to accommodate often for someone's kind of not wanting to accommodate for me. But there is this piece of it that we sometimes feel like an inconvenience. Therefore, we will trade some of the accommodation to make things easier. But what I have realized over the years is when I do that, I am not living my truth. But part of me is so resistant to creating any fuss. (laughs) Like, I don't want to create the fuss. I don't want to be a fuss. But if... I don't stay persistent in my needs. I don't trust myself. Some piece of me, some part of my integrity is not there. So speaking up, people would be like, Allie, what? It still is challenging for me because I want to please. I am a people pleaser. It's all, it all fits in my wanting to prove myself. You know in your lived experience that there will be hurdles, regardless of where you go and where you put your energy. What gives you the courage, determination to keep on with it? The theater that we did Oklahoma in was um, Circle in the Square, which is a theater that's like in the basement of the Gershwin. And so we had to bring in a disability consultant and figure out a way for me to get down there. So we had to like, we put in some chairlifts, they had to build ramps. So we made it accessible. We had to all get on board with a plan of how we were going to make this accessible for me. And this happened on Spring Awakening. There were issues with the dressing room and they made it accessible for me. So they have made the backstage accessible so I can use it when I have been cast in these Broadway shows. And that is that is a testament to the producers that I've worked with, Ken Davenport and Eva Price. They wanted to. It was not like, oh, we're not sure if we can or will. It was just like, we will do it. And um, that I just like to share because like 
it's possible, right? Like it is possible. But I think one of the things that is scary in a workplace when you have a disability is you're concerned that these accommodations that you need or the accessibility that you need will then put you in a position where they might want to hire somebody else. And I want to say that there is no one like you. There's no one like Allie. And therefore, you are not replaceable. And it's just an important thing to remember when you have a disability, it can make your life really hard, but it also really makes you unique. And so when you asked me like, why, like, how do I keep going on? And there are a few pieces of it. The first part is I really trust my creativity in solving problems. So there's going to be hurdles today. There's going to be hurdles tomorrow There's going to be hurdles for the rest of my life and not just in my career, but in my everyday world. And I trust myself. I trust that when I am handed a challenge, my brain works in a certain way where I know how to solve them. And I know how to solve them for me. I might not know how to solve them for all people with disabilities, but I know how to in my own life. And then also as you get older, realizing that there are some situations that there's no solution. And that's when you get to decide if you're going to be at peace with knowing that that one's not for you. For example, I'm not going to ice skate in my life. This is not, I'm not, I'm not tap dancing with my feet. These are not things that I can do, but I spend zero time thinking about those things because that spinning on the things I can't has never, ever made me feel like Allie. It's always made me think about what would my life be like if, but that's not my life and I don't want another life. I like this life. I really try to practice like no negative self-talk. If I start to beat myself up, I'm cooked. I don't have the strength. Then I feel defeated. You know, I don't have all good days. No human being does. I have really hard days. And I always say like in my life, things are pretty extreme. Either it's really good or it's real bad. But if you have been to both places, if you have been to the top and you have hit rock bottom, you know that you can do both and you can handle both and that you have the courage to get through both. And that is not unique to me or somebody with a disability. That is life. I also think I was raised with a certain kind of love and support and powerful showing up in my life. The people have shown up for me in ways that I, I feel like now I can do that for other people. 
I think all of those things are, it's a lot of great advice for anyone who is listening, regardless of whether or not you have a disability. You've said before that, and I think this relates to the self-love that you preach. You said before that you believe that disability heightens storylines and that it doesn't take away or detract, but adds to the characters you play. And I know we touched a little bit on how you select different roles based on the writing of those roles. One particular role that you played that meant a lot to me personally, which was your role as the lead love interest in Lifetime's Christmas Ever After. I have to say that I think in that experience of watching that, I felt like disability really did heighten the storyline and really did. I know it's so funny to talk about a Lifetime Christmas movie, right? Of all the roles that you've played, but to me, the idea that you were playing the central love interest and that the whole movie was framed around you was very powerful to watch. And I wonder if what led you to, to go for that role? Because I've always wanted to be in a rom-com. Because growing up as a little girl, I wanted my love story. And I wanted to believe that I could be the lead of my very own love story. I think many young people feel this way. I think the reason that we all want our own love story is because we all want to be seen for who we really are and loved as well. And so, especially for somebody with a disability, we want to feel like we are enough, that we are desirable, that we are um, romantic, that we are, first of all, capable of that story and that we are seen and loved and received as the lead. So when this came along, I was like, yes, I totally want to do this. And I want to speak specifically about the way that disability is handled in scripts and in stories. You know, I kept saying, we don't need to say it because we're going to show it. And to invite somebody into that two hour, that hour and a half movie, you were just a part of my world. And all of a sudden, the way that I moved or got into bed or was sitting at the desk or um, hanging out at, you know, a coffee shop, you're just that, you accept that world. And all of a sudden, it's not like different or weird. It's just this person's world and it's this person's love story. That was just such a joy for me. And it was like something on my bucket list because I grew up like watching Father of the Bride. Like I wanted my own love story and I never saw somebody with a disability get their love story ever, 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 ever. And that has a powerful impact on young I'll speak specifically for young women who want to be dating. It's like, oh my gosh, can I even like begin to, 
to begin this journey and and can I date and will will somebody want me and and how will I be received I mean that was huge for me that was a big deal because I just wasn't sure where to look because I just like how does this work for me? Like, how does a first kiss work for me? I'm sitting and maybe this person is standing. Like, what is that going to be? And it created a lot of fear in me, but it also turned out, everything turned out okay. And I got my love story in real life and in a, and in, in this movie. I want to wrap up with Ali Stroker's wish list. Um, what roles do you want to play? Where do you see yourself going in your career? Obviously, we know in the immediate, it's going to be on Netflix. <laughs> Pretty cool. But do you have ideas in mind? You know, we didn't dig into this, but you wrote a children's novel, which also is very important. Seems like writing could be interesting. Where do you want to go, Allie? I love working on camera and I really want to be part of making more television and telling stories where I'm playing a character that maybe we don't usually see in a chair or someone who, someone who has a real objective, a real thing that they're, they're after. Um, I think it's really powerful to see somebody who we might judge as like, oh, they are this and they're doing something totally different and they're pursuing something that is really, really difficult. I'd like to play the lead in a movie and I'd love to be back on stage. You know, I love musical theater. It's like always been sort of my home. So I'd love to do another musical. Um, I'd love to play Audrey in Little Shop. I think that'd be a really fun role. Um, I would love to write more like content for young people that's not necessarily like about disability but has characters who have all different kinds of abilities um i think that that is just that kind of representation especially for teenagers is huge i've been doing some animation work so i'm really enjoying that um and i want to do more of that because that's another world that like i don't feel any limitations in i just like get to use my voice so that's really fun. Yeah, I was going to say, just a small list. You're going to be busy for a very long time. No, I I, I, um, I like to share that kind of stuff because, you know, I think sometimes I, I just want to always remind myself to keep dreaming, you know, that, that there's never a time to stop dreaming. Mm-hmm. You must always keep dreaming and, and going after the things that are exciting to you. And those things today are really exciting to me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so, so, so much for, for joining thank us. You. I feel like I learned a lot. I felt a lot. I know that our audience will too. So we really appreciate it. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation about Liberty, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Listener note before we say goodbye, we're taking a hiatus during the month of August, our first ever in the history of At Liberty. We hope you have a nice month and we'll be back with new episodes in September. Next week will be our last new episode before our hiatus. Okay, until next week, 
stay strong.